Welcome back to the Jaws Obsession, where we are here to share with you, prove to you, convince you, or remind you that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. Welcome back for episode 43, The Ellen Brody Effect. Yes, one character that has been overlooked here on the Jaws Obsession has been Ellen Brody, and we are going to change all that. We are going to change all of that today on episode 43, The Ellen Brody Effect. What if I were to tell you that two lines of dialogue between Ellen and Martin prove that Ellen was a catalyst and had an indirect hand in saving Amity Island. Yes, we are going to dive into that. We're going to dive into her support role, but also her influential role in the events of Jaws. And how does that affect the, the ultimate conclusion of Jaws? Yeah, so let's uh, let's get to the Book of... Uh, we have a Book of Quint update here. The big news this uh, last week, earlier in the week, the Book of Quint heads to the printers. Earlier in the week, I took a road trip down to New Jersey where Paul and Debbie over at Lightning Press Book Printing were extremely helpful. And we sat down and we talked about the Book of Quint and how the Jaws Obsession, we are doing a extremely limited printing of the Book of Quint. So that job has now been, uh, it's it's underway. I already sent an email out to all the backers of the campaign to give them an update status. So here we are as, um, so the Book of Quint has been fully worked over. Uh, it came back from the, fo the formatter and I went back and forth a few times. I want to start off by reading a quote from Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway was quoted as saying, don't get discouraged because there's a lot of mechanical work to writing. There is, and you can't get out of it. I rewrote the first part of Farewell to Arms at least 50 times. You've got to work it over. The first draft of anything is shit. When you first start to write, you get all the kick and the reader gets none. But after you learn to work, it's your object to convey everything to the reader so that he remembers it is not as a story he had read, but something that happened to himself. End quote. That's from Ernest Hemingway. That's from uh, the book With Hemingway, A Year in Key West and Cuba by Arnold Samuelson. Ernest Hemingway always famously said that the first draft of anything is garbage. I took that to heart when tackling the book of Quint in that I knew this would have to be worked over and the mechanical part, the writing part, as that was being done, the mechanical part of editing and processing that had to be done. So it started all through the year. As I wrote chapters, I was working with an editing software to do a frontline edit of them. It started to get really heavy around Memorial Day because that's when um, Benchley IP LLC requested 
a copy of the manuscript, of which I had the first half of the manuscript to show them. When it was all said and done, that first round of editing uh, generated 3,091 suggested editorial corrections and changes, of which those were applied to the book as it stood. Then from there, I had a test copy printed out, and that's when I do a copy edit, and that was on a book. like So everything looks different when you see it from the computer screen and then when you actually see it on paper. So I needed to see it on paper, so I went through it with a red pen, and that's where I found an, an additional 1,776 editorial corrections and changes that had to be made. So then it goes to the formatter, and then from back and back a few times, I then had it printed out once more, and I did another run-through hard copy edit, almost a polishing edit, and that was that generated another 322 editorial corrections and changes. So altogether, the count was 5,189 editorial corrections were done since the original writing of the book. This is to ensure that the writing is in top form and it's a streamlined book worthy of your time and reading. And that's I, I was very animate about getting the writing down to a very efficient form where you are not reading, you're actually in, in the story. And that was my theory. And I believe that that's, that's how it turned out. The book looks great. I'm very excited about it. I was very excited to bring the files to Lightning, uh, Lightning Press down in New Jersey and to get the process started. Very exciting news was you only live once. And in my life, I've learned to do it the way you want it to be done first because you never know you're going to get another chance. So the exciting news that I made to the backers was that the this a limited edition run is going to all all be in hardcover. It's going to be in hardcover. It's going to look beautiful. It's going to look like a classical antique book. My vision was always I wanted to see the Book of Quint like you just pulled it off of a used bookstore in Nantucket or a used bookstore in Cape Cod. And I want it like it covered in dust, you know, and then you'd open it up. So that's what I've always wanted to see. So we're, we're, we're somewhat close to that, which is really nice that we had the... Um, the funding possible to bring it up to that level. And now this whole process, this last month, the, those thousands of corrections and everything in the back and forth, there was a lot of mechanical work, very fatiguing moments where you're just nose to the keyboard. I've been through the book seven times you know, and you have to be your worst critic. You have to really take your writing apart. And that's the way I, I was watching advice from other writers. And that's the way I saw this because we did not have time to go through a real editor. I couldn't have time to contract an editor out because this is a 400-page book. The entire book altogether is, uh, I think it's, a, it's just shy of 140,000 words. There would have been at least a month of work on their end, and we did not have time because my entire goal was to stay on the Peter Benchley timeline and to get this pushed out within this window. Remember, Peter Benchley was writing Jaws at this time 50 years ago. So we have to harness that moment, and uh, he would be done with the manuscript in January of 1973. So that was my goal, was to, in this window, to get that locked in. And it would be nice to get the book out to the backers for Christmas. So we are on schedule to do that. That's what's nice. That's what's nice to announce here. But with that quote from Ernest Hemingway, I found a new, when I was down at the uh, printing press at Lightning Press in New Jersey, I just discovered through this whole process, I have a newfound respect for the writing and publishing community. After being involved in this way, uh, while at the printer's office, I looked at these bookcases they had that had uh, years and years and decades of books that they've made out of that factory. Each book has a story, not just behind its creation, but within its pages. So the story that the book tells is one thing, but then there's a story about the creation of that book. Mind-bending, if you stand back and you look at a bookcase like that, that if you have listened to the Jaws Obsession, you have listened to, this is going to be up 43 episodes, what we've been doing here, but in the background, this this entire time has been the writing of the Book of Quint. The, the Book of Quint took 29 months to complete, 14 months research, 11 months writing, and then the rest was editing and back and forth with uh, formatting and stuff. That that is a it's a saga in itself and just in that story and it's pretty amazing to to be at this point and I have so much respect for any book that's out there that has gotten to this point because it's not easy it's not easy and if it's done right it's it's really a lot of it's it's a lot more uh, involved than one might think and I'm I'm excited to be at this stage so in order to celebrate that the book of Quint is at the printing press I 
would invite everybody to go to our show notes at Jaws OB over at Telegram. Uh, we put out earlier to the backers, we put out a image of the table of contents for the Book of Quint. So you can actually see the uh, entire table of contents, part one, two, and three, um, with the page numbers, but the chapter names. And the chapter names themselves uh, paint an intriguing uh, preview to what is inside the Book of Quint. So I thought that would be exciting to let everybody see exactly what's in store. If you are a major Jaws fan, you're going to read some of those chapter headings and you are going to uh, realize that there is a lot, a, a lot of Easter eggs from Jaws that are going to be explained in the Book of Quint, which is very exciting. So that 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 was fun. And uh, so I invite everybody to go over there and let me know what you think of the table of contents to the Book of Quint. And you can email me back here at jawsob2025 at gmail.com. And that's a good segue into the emails that I have been receiving, which has been um, very uplifting. I love hearing from everyone out there. So um, I wanted to get to some of these wonderful emails before they build up. They kind of bring up new aspects that I haven't thought of. And I, I really like hearing from you. Very, a lot, the Jaws fandom, people that are fans of Jaws are very observant and they have a lot of, they have a lot of insight. And I like, I like that. I like that because that uh, when we're all together, we can make Jaws even more interesting than it already is. Alistair from Finland, campaign backer Al from Finland wrote in that he finally received the Amity Island postcard and mail was kind of uh, slow going out there, but we got one to him, which was really, which was quite an accomplishment. That's uh, so we, we, he's, he's in Finland. He has a postcard on his refrigerator. He informed me that he received the postcard. And then he said, uh, just listening to the la latest episode halfway through great so far. It's great that 10% is going to beneath the waves. I've been a nature lover and over the past few years made a few changes to my lifestyle to help the environment where I can. So it was good to hear that some of the money will be going to shark research and conservation. I feel even more happy to support the project after hearing that news. And yes, that's a wonderful door that was opened up by Miss Wendy Benchley when they requested that 10% of any and all profits from the Book of Quint to go to an entity that supports shark research and conservation. And I chose from the from their list is uh, Beneath the Waves. So the Book of Quinn is already supported Beneath the Waves um, right from its very uh, inception here, which I think is very special going forward that there was always a stigma that Peter Benchley felt that how sharks were treated after he wrote Jaws and then Jaws was made into the movie. So there was this 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 arc where he felt, of course, the sharks were mistreated. And there was this arc where Jaws was responsible for that. But isn't it interesting now how we, a half a century later, how we are flipping the script on that, where now the characters of Jaws in the prequel called The Book of Quint now can help sharks by generating funds and going to Beneath the Waves which is an entity for shark research and conservation. It's a redemption arc, which is really, that's, I never even saw that avenue opened up. And I thank uh, Benchley IPLLC for opening that door for us. And already, like Al over in Finland is noticing that and he feels great about it. And I'm sure that many buyers in the future will feel great about it too, because uh, that's one of the things. What's next for the Book of Quint is uh, we have two weeks that the are they're going to generate a proof copy at the printing press. I'm going to have to go back down there and I'm going to have to approve of that. Then it's going to be another two weeks to get the 300 books made. There's going to be 300 books created. That's that's it. But what happens is is I have to get a copy of the final manuscript with the with the disclaimer on the inside that uh, Benchley IP LLC has requested that it goes into each copy of the Book of Quint showing 10% of profits generated will be going to Beneath the Waves. Benchley IP LLC, we have to get them a copy of the Book of Quint for their files. So that's that's the next step there. And then um, approve the uh, proofs. And I'm pretty sure I'll be doing another episode right after that point. Thanks, Al. Thanks for writing in. And uh, I can't wait to get you the book over in Finland. And that shows you that the Jaws obsession, the reach of the Jaws obsession, we are worldwide. The last time I checked, I think we were at 46 countries and counting that has registered downloads for the Jaws obsession. So it shows that there's Jaws fans all over the world. They like what's going on in the Jaws obsession, but they're very, that we have interest all over the world in a prequel to Jaws in an authorized derivative work that is the Book of Quint. 
which is very exciting. It's very exciting to see, and Al is an embodiment of that. So thanks for writing in, Al. Uh, here from Phil in Colorado. We have uh, He says, hello, I found the podcast on Spotify, and I'm moving through the episodes in chronological order. I love it. I want to throw two things out as I get things in my head while listening. Have you ever noticed Chief Brody mistyped coroner's report as coroner's report in the typewriter scene? One item I found after watching Jaws in the IMAX theater recently, there is a woven hanging calendar with a bird on it in the Brody kitchen. It is the year 1971. I listened to the 12 Days of 1974 summary episode. Um, I wonder if anyone else saw that calendar. Anyways, uh, I will keep going along through the episodes. It keeps my mind entertained at my night shift job. Keep them coming. Thank you, and thank you for your time. Phil from Superior, Colorado. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for writing in. Uh, fellow night worker, I understand that nights are very long and that uh, you need constant uh, input to keep your mind moving. And uh, that's where podcasts are invaluable. And I'm glad that the Jaws obsession has found its way into that playlist. So let's talk about that. Um, so what he was referring to, he was referring to the Jaws obsession, uh, episode 16, Jaws Timeline Explained. Uh, we, we went through the typewriter scene and why is Brody filling out specific dates the way he is. And we had a retired police detective, Muggsy McGraw, on the show to bring analysis into what Chief Brody was doing. And then we established a calendar of 12 calendar days in uh, late June to early July 1974 was when Jaws takes place in the Jaws universe. So he says that there is an item on the Brody, there is a calendar. So what Phil is saying that a lot of, a lot of um, in the IMAX, when it becomes massive in, in the Brody's kitchen on the back, there's a calendar it's a hanging calendar. It's 1970. It, it looks to me like it says 1974. It looks like a 1971 because the one is, uh, the, the way the script is, the one, it looks, but it looks like there's a real thin slash over for the four. However, even if it is a one, yeah, the calendar looks to me like it says 1974. Um, I'll take a screenshot of that and put that on our show notes so everybody else can see the a wall calendar and i'm sure if we get a blu-ray uh grab of that it will we'll see if it says 74 71 but let's say it does does say 71 that is not entirely impossible it's a nice it's a it's a piece of art that's hanging there and uh i can testify that I've had old calendars hanging on the walls for a couple of years. I think I had a Norman Rockwell calendar I got from the Norman Rockwell Museum. I think I had that hanging up, hanging up for about two or three years. So the calendar was out of date, but I just liked the art. So I just kept it up. So uh, one thing that it shows is that, um, that it, it either proves that it's 1974 or it proves that the Brody family is uh, just moving into a house that's a holdover. Um, and that lot of New England cottages, if you've ever spent time on uh, Nantucket, Martha's Vineyard, Cape Cod, uh, that the cottages will have old calendars hanging up. People just kind of leave them up if they like how it looks. I think that's interesting. I, my opinion is it says 1974, but let's see. Maybe, uh, maybe we can have everybody, everybody look at that and then email in. What do you guys think? Do you think it says 1974 or 1971? So either way, it's definitely, uh, we're still dealing with 1974 Jaws uh, timeline and that even if there's a calendar up there that says 1971, that would be really specific. And I would have to believe that Spielberg would have caught that. And he would have said, Hey, that's why does that say 71? We're, we're, we're shooting this in 74. We got to make that into 74. So I don't think that's a gaff. I actually, it looks like one, but I'm going to go with that. It says 1974. Uh, what do you think? Email in at jawsob2025 at gmail.com when you see the screen grab. It's actually the, the minute is right when he's about to answer the phone. When the phone's ringing, you see it on the wall. There's a six-pack of Coca-Cola bottles. So it's at six minutes and 12 seconds into the movie. Okay, um, uh, the other question that Phil had was Chief Brody mistyped coroner, C-O-R-O-N-E-R-S, coroner's, coroner's report as coroner's, C-O-R-N-E-R-S report. And that's true. He does do that. Yeah, he says, uh, it says coroner's office. So Chief Brody types uh, coroner's office, C-O-R-N-E-R-S, office in the space. Now, I 
thought I asked the detective about that, but what it looks like that is that's either he's abbreviating or he's just going fast. Uh, sometimes you just, uh, you, you know, you don't have to write out full words and he's just going fast through there. So he just put uh, uh, corners instead of the, the extra O when you're doing this. Uh, people, I guess police reports have, they have a way. I know when I did reports in the United States Coast Guard, we had a way of writing that would abbreviate words that we just knew. And so they would be, uh, it wasn't even real abbreviations. It was our own way of writing them out. So we knew what they were, but you didn't have to write the full word. So I think that is just uh, a little bit more realistic, either that it shows that Martin Brody is uh, typing out fast and or he that's the way he's always done it, coming from the New York City Police Department as a police detective, which is what we believe happened, that he came, he was a police detective in New York City. And if you want to hear more details on that, then you would go to episode 16, Jaws Timeline and listen to my interview with the retired detective Muggsy McGraw. Great, great insight. And thanks for those thoughts. It's uh, it's always great to dive into these little mini questions that come up with Jaws. Thanks, Phil, from Superior, Colorado. And uh, wait till you get into the episode after episode 20. Maybe he's he probably won't hear this for a while because if he's on, uh, so he, he's listening in chronological order. So he's got some surprises uh, in store for him. So we had another email that said, uh, uh, good morning, mate. I only recently stumbled across your podcast and have binged 22 odd episodes in very quick, quick succession. My question is, can I still order the book of Quint? My 11 year old is a Quint diehard and this would be an amazing, this would be amazing for him for Christmas. And to confirm, do you ship to Australia? So that's Luke from Australia. And I had a back and forth with Luke. This was right before the Indiegogo campaign uh, closed, and I believe Luke was able to get in there, but we will be getting a book to the little guy, the the 11-year-old Quint Diehard fan in Australia. Uh, I told him that, and he says, I got to say, mate, thanks for putting something out there that keeps us all in with the love we have of Jaws. As much as my boy loves Quint, he always runs around asking, if are you boys all right over there? in his best Massachusetts accent. Stay awesome, mate. That's Luke from Australia. Thanks for writing in, Luke. And yes, we're going to get, we're going to make sure uh, the little 11-year-old Quint fan gets a book of Quint, and we're going to get that out before Christmas. We're going to get that to you before Christmas. That That's the, that's one of the goals here. Thanks for writing in, Luke. That's a really great email, and it's wonderful to see the future generations of Jaws fans that are going to be stoked with the prequel to Jaws in novel form, which is the Book of Quint. And that's one of my, um, that's why when I was down over uh, at the printing press in New Jersey, the, the one of the goals was to, uh, I ordered it with a rush. I put a rush on the order because at this point, it looks like we're going to get the books slightly before Thanksgiving, and that will give us enough time to ship those out and make sure those get to all the backers before Christmas. And that's the other aspect that's going to be done with these with with the limited run is I will be sending out these books to possible agents and representation in order to try to take the book of Quint to a uh, to a publisher where then it can go into worldwide publication. And that's our next goal here at the Jaws Obsession. That's what my uh, my task will be for the next two months uh, after after we get the, those back. We'll be approaching agents and uh, trying to find representation for the Book of Quint in order to push it to worldwide because it is a very pricey process. And that's what the campaign was for, was to get a launching pad. And I think that when they see the final version of the Book of Quint, when that's handed to when that's handed to you, I think that that's going to be uh, convince people that this is a professional project. There was a lot of heart and effort put into this by many people, including you, the listener, who's out there and your support. So this is uh, this is exciting. That's where we so that's where we stand. Yes, Luke from Australia. So look at that. We had uh, Phil from Colorado in the United States. We've had Al from Finland, and now we have Luke from Australia. Look at how we are have gone. Look how Jaws has a global influence. How there are fans all over the world of Jaws. That proves it's the greatest movie of all time. That only the greatest movie of all time could generate this type of excitement and a prequel 50 years after it comes out. Right. So we're talking 50 years of uh, Jaws. The writing of Jaws is coming up. So it's exciting. It's exciting. 
So thank you, everyone. And please, I'd love to hear from anyone. If you have any questions for the Jaws Obsession, jawsob2025 at gmail.com. Yeah, so let's get to it. Let's get to the Ellen Brody effect. What is the Ellen Brody effect for the movie Jaws? Well, if we know a certain, if we know the the the, the relationship between Martin and uh, Brody and his wife Ellen Brody, it might seem very uh, simple on its face, but what there's there's more that has happened that we are not privy to, but we can tell especially with two lines of dialogue that occur later on in the movie. We are introduced to the Brody family in a transition phase. The transition phase is that Alan Brody and Martin Brody, they hail from New York. So uh, they, they're uh, clearly from, uh, the, from New York City, where Martin Brody was a uh, police detective. Now, why do we, we have to establish some truths here that we have done in series, pa- in, in past episodes? Uh, the past episode n- number 16, which we talked about, uh, episode 16, which was the Jaws Timeline Explained, where we had a retired police detective on the show, that uh, we surmised that the, the best guess is that he became chief. He was hired as chief over here because of he, he took an early retirement. He would have reached the rank of detective in the New York City Police Department in 1973. And he would have taken an early retirement. Now, early retirements come at about 20 years, okay? So that puts Martin Brody joining the New York City Police, De- Police Department at about 1953. So 1953 and 1973 was when he would have served and he would have reached the rank of detective. And if he stayed in New York City, he would have been a lot more successful moving up the ranks. He possibly possibly would have been in the running for chief Martin Brody of the New York City Police Department or of the precincts out there. So what happened? What the clues show is that it was Ellen Brody's idea to move the family to Amity. Martin Brody was ready to just stay in New York City. That's the only life he knew for 20 years. He was a New York City police detective. Now, what we can also identify, and this is going to come in in a later episode, is Martin Brody is in his early he's in his early 40s during Jaws in 1974 in the Jaws universe Martin Brody is in his early 40s which means that if he was 21 or 22 when he joined the New York City Police Department that means he worked there until he was 42 and now we see him in 43 or 44 and Amity Island so that puts him at a birthday of 1930 to 1932 would have been Martin Brody's birthday. So what we can also find out from a clue, which is going to be later on when I do the M1 Garand episode, which is a Jaws Easter egg in itself, because the M1 Garand tells a lot of history, not just about Quint, but about Brody as well. Long story short, we can't go into that avenue. I don't want to uh, get sidetracked and go down that road just yet, but because we have to stay, we have to stay on Ellen Brody here. But what when Martin Brody picks up the M1 and actually checks the chamber, he checks to see if there is a full clip inside of eight rounds. He does it in a way that's very natural, and it shows that he's been trained with the M1 Garand, which is a military rifle, and that would have been used in the Korean War, of which. I believe Martin Brody served in the Korean War, and that's how he, uh, out of high school, and that's how he went into, he doesn't talk about it in the movie Jaws, obviously, but the way he uses, he handles that M1 Garand, it shows that he was familiar with that rifle, and that rifle was an issued rifle for the Korean War as well, as as well as World War II, which is why Quint has it. So, what we're what we're seeing here is is that we've established a history for the Brody family that they we don't know when they got married but they got married in New York City and then they had the two boys and then life got pretty rough in the 70s as we all know you can watch movies like Taxi Driver or just look at the history books the 1970s whether I've have who who knows the movie The Warriors that's pretty much that was chaos back then right it was a great movie but the New York City was not a fun place to be. It was not a tourist haven in the 1970s. So even though Brody was used to it, we have to look at. We have to look at. I I always loved how they're a, they are a great team here in Jaws. That Ellen supports Martin Brody, and we see her support Martin through the entire movie. But what we're not realizing here 
is that Martin is actually supporting her. He changed his entire life around and moved to an island for a guy that doesn't even like the water and doesn't and does not like boats. He changed it for her and the kids and took an early retirement and came here. So uh, knowing that context, let's review some of the scenes in the movie. Listen, Chief, be careful, will you? In this town? Hey. Hi, Dad. I don't know how to get on. I want my cup back. You get it. Okay. Where's the Okay, I, I always like these little uh, playful scenes where when, when they, uh, first of all, we, we were given some information right there where uh, he's, she says, be careful, okay? And he says, in this town? So already he's kind of playing off like this is just, this is a rinky-dink place that we've moved to and, and I can be, a, and I've, I've served in, uh, I was a police detective in the, 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 the hardest city there was in the land. So he's kind of laughing that off. And then she says, I want my cup back. And he says, you'll get it. So that implies that he has taken her uh, cups and the coffee comes from the house and he has left them, whether it's in squad cars and all that stuff before in New York City. Or, and so that's what's uh, so uh, maybe he did that again here when they got to Amity. And so that little dialogue tells us that there's this uh, there's this understanding that this is the routine. The little part right there, if you watch that, that Ellen is already concerned about Martin's not his well-being as much as his demeanor and because she is responsible ultimately for him being there. Okay. And by her being responsible for her, him being there, she doesn't want to see anything go wrong because she'll feel, she will feel the weight on her shoulders. Watch this movie again with this context. Let's go through a couple more scenes. Oh, oh, oh God, you scared me. Oh. Uh. You know, Alan, People don't even know how old sharks are. I mean, if they live two, three thousand years, Martin, they don't know. Enough, enough. You're not going to even be able to go to sleep tonight. Here, come on. Thanks. Wow. Want to get drunk and fool around? Oh yeah. So right there, we see that Ellen is already in in these scenes. Ellen is concerned about Martin's uh, stress levels, and this is now normally she's a police officer's wife. She's seen him go through a hundred different cases where he's working at home or he's doing research or what or whatever. He he would stay late hours because he was the rank of detective. Why do we know he's rank of detective? Because that's how he got hired as a police chief. You go from detective to chief. So he was a detective. So that would have given him the qualifications to be chief in Amity. That's how he got hired here. So he would have taken the early retirement. So here she is. She's uh, taking the shark book away from him. And then she hands him the drinks and she says, you'll never get any sleep. And I love that this was always a great scene with a natural reaction and how they, they work well together. The two actors, Roy Scheider and uh, Lorraine Gary. Lorraine Gary did a great job playing Ellen Brody. And she's just the perfect, perfect actress for this role. And th that's why we kind of... Uh, uh, they're, they're both very natural together. She's trying to get his mind off of things. Now, remember, she's seen, she's watching this, uh, uh, that uh, Ellen Brody takes the role of an observer and of a support network, as well as a police officer's wife in the movie Jaws. So she's, const she's observing. She's either on the beach or she's observing uh, Martin with his kids, the interactions going on but she's a support network for Martin because he is there as a support for her. Remember, this is, and we're going to get to that in, in, in an, um, when, when he's talking to Hooper on the boat, is that he's there because she said, we, we, really, we really need to get the kids out of New York City. It's unsafe. And she convinced him to move. So how do we know he's not, he wasn't the one to make the decision to move? Well, because we know that Ellen admits it to Hooper, and then we had Bad Hat Harry. So let's go to those sequences really quick. We have the line from Bad Hat Harry who comes up, the older gentleman. He is one of the town selectmen. We see him at the uh, table, the, the, the selectmen desk at Amity Town Hall. 
He's one of the five selectmen. So these, this he, Harry is one of Bad Hat Harry, Harry Kiesel. He owns Kiesel's Bicycle Rentals. He's the one that he would have had, he would have been one of the five votes that hired Martin Brody, okay? And that is a very interesting telling scene here. Now let's listen to Bad Hat Harry. It, it's cold. <laughs> we know all about you, Chief. You don't go in the water at all, do you? Some bad hat, Harry. We all know about you, Chief. You don't go in the water at all, do you? There is an element that they want that the selectmen wanted a a green chief. They wanted a chief that they wanted a policeman that would not be um, getting into business and not be getting into the islanders' business. So they wanted someone that was kind of a rookie. And so they had to hire a chief. Uh, they, they would have had to hire a chief because the Amity population was growing and they needed a full-time chief at this point. And um, that's why they selected him, I believe, is that they knew that he didn't like the water. They knew that he was un- he's a fish out of water on that island. So that is why he was hired for reasons that are explained in the Book of Quint, and for reasons that we can't tell with the facts that we are given in Jaws. And that's why Jaws is such a, it's an amazing movie in that there's information that's thrown out there, but it leaves questions, and those questions have to be answered, and we can only know that by having more information. And and that's where, so when Bad Hat Harry says, we all know about you, so it's already out there that Martin, he kind of applied for the job, but he wasn't really right for the job, and but they still hired him anyways. So that let's keep that in mind. Then there's Ellen uh, admitting that Martin is uncomfortable around water. Martin hates boats. <sighs> Martin hates water. Martin, Martin sits in his car when we go on the ferry to the mainland. I guess it's a childhood thing. It's uh, there's a clinical name for it, isn't there? I- Drowning. Listen. Is it true that most people... What we have is we have Ellen admitting that Martin hates boats. Uh, He sits in his car when they go to the mainland for the ferry rides. So Martin did not want to come to Amity Island, right? That Ellen was the one that said, we really need to move the family. I would feel safer because... And then he agreed, obviously, because he wants to support his family and give them the safest environment to grow up on. So he put his own experience and his own comfort aside to support Ellen. So that's why we see Ellen overly, she's very supportive of of Martin throughout the entire movie of Jaws. And she's concerned about him. Even when she's talking about, um, if you look at her body language, even when she's talking about him being afraid of boats, she has her left arm on his forearm, which she's holding onto the bottle. Uh, uh, So, so her left arm over there, because she's comforting and that's a comforting uh, motion by her she wants to comfort his doubts and his fears and and that's what's interesting is that she is a police officer's she's a police officer's wife and she knows that he's he's seen he's probably been on uh, he was a beat cop in New York City in the 60s and going into the 70s he was a detective so he's you know he who, who, Martin was involved with a lot in a lot of um, criminal activity chasing down suspects and investigating murders and possible shootouts. But this is her responsibility. He's uncomfortable because she requested that. And that, so she feels that she has to be, she wouldn't, I don't think she would do this in New York City. I just don't think Ellen would be this hands-on and this uh, nurturing of Martin if it was New York City, because that's where Martin wanted to live. Okay. And that's what's really Special here is you got to see what Ellen is doing. She is an observer. She's been observing Martin even before this dinner sequence when he's with his youngest son, Sean Brody, and the uh, the very touching father and son sequence. She's just off to the side and she just observes. That's very important to, to note here. We can kind of deduce here that uh, one side of the couple is com- comfortable on an island. She's asking, when does she become an islander? Ellen Brody. The other side of the couple doesn't even want to be there, but he's there because that's what you have to do. He wants to give his boys a safe place to grow up. He's concerned about his wife's safety. 
Uh, you can actually go to a grocery store instead of uh, risking your life on a subway in 1974 Manhattan or the Bronx or Brooklyn, wherever she was, wherever, wherever they were from. So the dinner scene goes, so we know what's going on in Jaws. We all know the movie Jaws. We know that there is, uh, they go and they dissect a shark. And now they're going to go out on the boat. Now, this is a very interesting part. Let's play the part where they're out looking. They're looking for the shark or any kind of shark activity at night. So now we're on the boat with Matt Hooper and Martin is confiding to Matt Hooper in a friendly way. He is intoxicated, but what he's doing is he's, it's almost like he's trying to remind himself why he gave up life in New York City and he's on an island. So let's listen to what he says and then we're gonna we're, we're gonna analyze this from a, uh, we're gonna stand back and look at it in perspective. Tell you the crime rate in New York will kill you. There's so many problems, you never feel like you're accomplishing anything. Violence, rip-offs, muggings, kids can't leave the house, you gotta walk them to school. So that that's the first part. He's describing how tough it is in New York to live. Kids, you have to walk them to school with, with the kids, and he says the, the muggings. So it sounds to me, now see, he would have been used to this, okay? He would have been used to this as a New York guy, as a uh, detective and a experienced police officer of 20 years, he would have been used to this, but who was not used to it, who was waking up at night, who was waiting for her husband to come home, worried about that he would never come home, was his wife, Ellen. So it sounds to me, at this point, he's repeating lines that he's heard from Ellen about walking the kids to school and all that. And he's almost saying the reason why they moved over there. But remember, he could have gone and applied for a police chief in um, in upstate New York. He could have gone up here to where it's it's safer, or he could have gone to uh, Vermont. There are many places he could have gone, but he came to Amity Island, a fish out of water, because that was the quickest available police chief job at the time, and Ellen really wanted to move. She was uncomfortable in New York City. So what he's doing is he's repeating lines he's heard from Ellen. He's almost reconvincing himself of why he moved, of why he's even there. Because he, right now he's scared. He's on a boat. This is a first, you know, he doesn't like being on a boat and Hooper kind of uh, browbeat him to get on there. We have to realize what's what he's admitting here, but how he's admitting it. Let's hear the second part. This is another important part here. But in Amity, one man can make a difference. In 25 years, there's never been a shooting or a murder in this town. But in Amity, one man can make a difference. In 25 years, there's never been a shooting or a murder in this town. Now, that sounds like to me is that he's repeating a politician's line. He must have heard Mayor Vaughn say that during the interview process many times. What does Martin Brody know about the history of Amity Island? It would have been Mayor Vaughn would have said, listen, Martin, we're hiring you. This is a relatively safe island where there hasn't been a shooting or a murder in 25 years. And he would have said that multiple times. So Martin is now being a politician. So he, even Martin's kind of convincing himself why he's there, why one man can make a difference because it's a safe island and you really don't have any problems on Amity Island like you do in New York City. So it is safe. And that's why he's now on a boat. He's uncomfortable, but he's convincing himself he's got to be uncomfortable because he this is a better life for his family and for Ellen Brody. So very interesting uh, little exchange right there. If you see where that's coming from, that's really not, those are not from Martin Brody himself. Those are from words, I believe, from Ellen Brody and from Mayor Vaughn right there. So if you look at that from that aspect, now you can actually get a picture of what's going on in Martin Brody's head and how he is actually a support role for Ellen. So even though we see Ellen always supporting him, we see her checking up on him on the beach, massaging his shoulders, uh, saying you're uptight. We see uh, her checking up on the 4th of July when he's got the radio and they have the shark spotters all over the place. Uh, she's checking up on him then. So now we know the whole progression of what happens. We know the Alex Kittner attack, 
and then of course the Chrissy Watkins uh, attack, and then now we go to the Fourth of July and all the chaos that happens. Ellen sees her son get pulled out of the water, unconscious from shock. She has a lot of grief, and what that grief is, you got to see what's going on there. Is you're watching Lorraine Gary as Ellen Brody. You're watching a woman who feels responsible for why they're even there, okay? Because she was the catalyst for that happening. A very interesting take if you watch her performance in this dynamic. Now, here's the two lines. We're going to skip forward to the hospital scene that Michael Brody's okay, but he's got to stay the night. Let's listen to the exchange between Ellen and Martin and in the hospital scene when little Sean Brody is sleeping on his dad's shoulder. Yeah. Can I take him home? Like to New York? No. Home here. That is a very, very underrated scene. It's do you want to do you want to take him home? And she says, like to New York. And he says, no, home here. Now, what there's a pause there. And I believe Ellen wanted to say more. She was almost waiting for it, but he never goes there. The, the, the thing is, is that Ellen Brody feels responsible. And that's why she now offers as if to understand if he's going to say, I told you we shouldn't have moved out here. We were better off in New York. I had a better handle on things. This never would have happened. And she that's why she's almost, she's the first to offer like to New York. It's not Martin that brings up anything. She offers it. So that tells me that she, that's the proof right there is that she was the one to suggest they move to Amity. And she was the one that initially pushed for it. And Martin was supporting her. Now, what is amazing about this is that she says, so she offers to move back to where Martin would be more comfortable. But Martin looks at her and he says, no, home here. As in, I'm not going to let the mayor and all the outside forces that went against my better judgment and didn't let me close the beaches, I'm not going to let that affect the relationship with my wife where she was right in having us move out of New York City and I'm not going to about to sit there and let those outside forces make her feel bad because that was the right move. And Martin Brody at this point is a changed man. He realizes he has to go full New York City, full uh, into action mode and start demanding results. So this is where his body language changes and he goes right over to the mayor after that. So that is a very special scene and it's always overlooked that she offers to go back first. And he says no. So he at that point says no, even though I'm uncomfortable on an island and I am in a ball game here with people and a killer shark that's out there and a shark that has attacked multiple people and I have a politician that will not work with me, I'm getting stymied and trying to do my police work, I still want to stay on this island and I still want to support you. And that pause she gives him after he says, no home here, that is, there, there's a thousand words that are spoke in that pause. And that is Lorraine Gary excellent actress and that is an excellent beat that she holds that look and then she turns away with a sleeping Sean Brody everyone when you watch Jaws again watch that scene and realize what's going on there now this is that now as you watch what happens now they go to Quince Shark and Shack the next day they go to the charter and uh, to explain the arrangement for the charter and then they leave the following day. So this is two days later. This is the last time we're going to see Ellen Brody. And what is she doing as they're walking into Quince Shark and Shack? Did you take your dram, Mimi? Yes. The line's in the locker room. I put an extra pair of glasses in your black socks, and, and there's the stuff you know. The zinc oxide and Blistex is in the kit. Son of a bitch! Goddamn women today, they can't handle nothing. Young girl just quite smart. Like the it's got to be Quint. This collection of colorful, isn't it? He scares me. Don't use the fireplace in the den because I haven't fixed the flue yet. Kids. Tell him I'm going fishing. 
So this sequence right there, Ellen is overly supportive. Watch how she's looking at Martin. Watch how she's uh, she's rattling off the Blistex and all the different things that she packed, his black socks. And then she's, she tucks in his shirt like she fixes his jacket. And she says, that's Quint. He scares me. She is overly nervous and over, because she feels that she is responsible for this situation, that he is now in this situation. So if you watch it and then di- that dynamic, it really improves Miss Gary's performance to a whole new level. The look that Martin gives her when they're the when the orca is leaving and then she she walks away and she gets emotional. She walks away, gets emotional. Now, this is a police officer's wife. She has multiple years of being with this man through all his the high crime New York City. But now she's getting, because there's now, it's a whole new world now. Now she knows that he's going on something, that he's completely uncomfortable, and she's not going to be there to put her arm on his, her hand on his forearm. She's not going to be there to take to watch over him and to comfort him like she would be on the ferry rides to and from the island. He's doing this because this is the situation that he's dealt with and he's handling it. And that's why she gets emotional. It's it's wonderful. It's a wonderful aspect of Jaws that is overlooked by many, by, by many because if you look at the clues, we can draw all these clues. But the, the, those two lines, when she's the first to offer to go back to New York City, that tells all of us that she was the one who was the catalyst of moving the family to Amity and Brody was supporting her. So he supported her. Now she's supporting him. She's getting emotional because she knows he's going out in a very dangerous situation and she is partially responsible. So, but if we stand back, if we stand back, Chief Brody was the right man for the right time to handle this situation that Amity was put in. If it wasn't for Ellen, pushing Martin to move the family, to take that early retirement from the New York City Police Department, to bid the job and get the chief or get awarded the chief job of this uh, of this little island that's out in the Atlantic Ocean. If Ellen did not do that, we would have not had Martin Brody who brought in Matt Hooper and that shark would have wreaked even more havoc around the island. So we can actually deduce, if we stand back and look at the big picture, that Ellen Brody effect, the Ellen Brody effect actually affects the outcome of Jaws by putting Martin Brody on that island. Wonderful to see. And that's why she is a very important character in the movie Jaws. All the characters are important. And it's wonderful to actually finally get to an Ellen Brody episode. And I hope that now you will watch her performance in an entirely new light. Show me the way to go home. I'm tired, I want to go to bed. And there we have it. Now we know the Ella Brody effect of the movie Jaws. Wonderful to see. We're just building layers on this wonderful movie, the greatest movie of all time. And we're just making more enjoyment, repeated views of this movie. When you focus on different aspects, that's why it's the greatest movie of all time. I always say that if you focus on different aspects of the movie Jaws, it takes a whole new tone every time you watch it. So now you rewatch the movie Jaws and just focus on Lorraine Gary and her perform- performance as Ellen and it will uh, it will make for a, a, a new experience while watching Jaws. The movie Jaws is copyrighted property of Universal Studios. Any references and sampling from the movie Jaws in this episode is intended to fall within section 107 of the Copyright Act. The copyrighted materials are fairly used for the purposes of criticism, comment, reporting, teaching, and research. The materials used here are protected by the fair use guidelines of section 107 of the Copyright Act, all rights reserved to the copyright owners. So just a reminder, you can go to JawsOB.com and follow the links to our Telegram server, uh, JawsOB at Telegram, and you can see our show notes. You can check out the table of contents to the Book of Quint and get a preview, a sneak peek at uh, what's in store in that book. 
So we'd love to hear from you. You can write in at jawsob2025 at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening this week, for your time. Until next week, farewell and adieu, and show me the way to go home. <laughs>